A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Hello, I'm Tim Farron. This is A Mucky Business. It's the show which delves into the business of politics through the eyes of Christians. You might think politics is tainted by compromise and sin. Well, yeah, you'd be right. But then again, so is everything else. And I think we should be praying in an informed way for our brothers and sisters who operate in and around the world of politics. Today, we're going to be joined by the Bishop of Durham, the Right Reverend Paul Butler. Bishop Paul has given 40 years of his life to ordained ministry. And for just over 10 of those, he served in the House of Lords as part of the Lord's Spiritual the Church of England's representatives in Parliament. We'll hear about his experiences in the Lords and his response to those who question whether clergy should be there in the first place. But before that, I'm sure you share my horror at the dreadful corrosive substance attack last week on a woman and her two young children. Our prayers remain with the three of them as they continue to be treated in hospital. Abdul Azadi, an Afghan national, has been named as a suspect by the police. It's since been revealed he was granted UK asylum on his third attempt, despite having been convicted of sex offences committed in the UK and being on the sex offenders register. There will, of course, now be a police investigation and the public are privy to very few details. However, for some politicians and much of the media, the concern has strangely not been about how the criminal justice system responds to and indeed prevents violence against women and children, Instead, they have focused on Azadi's conversion to Christianity and have sought to lay the responsibility for this dreadful attack at the doors of the church, either for being naive enough to be duped by bogus conversions or else for intentionally conspiring to keep people in the UK when they've no right to be here. This has reignited a debate around whether the church should be opening its doors to asylum seekers and supporting them to find Christ. Now, I wrote about this in relation to the attempted terror attack in 2021 in Liverpool by another Christian convert. Well, firstly, let's make absolutely clear that it is the Home Office and the courts, not the church, who are responsible for accepting or rejecting asylum claims. Church leaders may provide evidence that someone has regularly attended and made a profession of faith, but they do not judge whether that faith is genuine any more than for a middle-class family seeking to get their child into the local church school. Declarations of conversion are rigorously tested, and the bar is high. Indeed, many genuine asylum seekers report an innate disbelief from the authorities surrounding faith claims. And let's also remember that conversion to Christianity from another faith should not be seen as an easy option. There is often a huge cost to the individual. Converts may be treated with hostility or rejected by other asylum seekers from their own country, who may be the only people here that they know. Converts have to be very careful about sharing testimonies and may have to hide from their own families as the danger of retribution can be very real. I refer to you to last week's conversation with Gareth Wallace about the persecution of Christians worldwide. On top of this, Members of their new churches might believe the shrill media commentary and reject them as fake believers. So the risks for individuals are high and the court and home office need to take into account the risks of harm towards a genuine convert being sent back to a country hostile to their new faith. 
The politicians and journalists who point the finger at the church surely know all this, though. So why is the church being so fiercely accused of facilitating industrial-scale bogus asylum claims, in the words of Suella Braverman? Well, of course, there will be some fake conversions, and the church should be alert to the fact that people do try to game the system. But who, other than God, can decide who has genuinely accepted Christ into their hearts and who's not? At the heart of this debate is a tussle over what it means to be human. God's invitation is open to all, no matter where you come from or what you've done. If we believe that each human is made in God's image, this means each one of us is valuable to him, no exceptions. And it means that our human rights spring from this innate value. Freedom of religion or belief is a fundamental right. And so it is a massive contradiction to say on the one hand that we should be a Christian country with laws and traditions based on Christian values, but then also to deny some people the protection of gospel-inspired human rights laws just because it suits a political agenda. Of course, the church should continue to proclaim the Christian faith and not be derailed by this row. Sharing Christ's love and grace is our main responsibility. Jesus spent time with those who were rejected by his society, the tax collectors and sinners. And so we should expect his church to do the same today. We should rejoice that some of the asylum seekers on the Bibby Stockholm barge are reported to have turned to Christ with the support of local churches. If we lazily assume these are all fake, we deny the power of the gospel message. If this latest development in the culture wars leads to the church being urged to close its doors to any group of people, that would amount to the church being directed to abandon Christ's great commission, to make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28, verse 19. Gently, but firmly, I say that this is a direction we cannot follow while still being considered as faithful. Let's instead be bold and pray that more refugees will genuinely respond to the gospel this year. A Mucky Business with Tim Farron. Well, so to our guest this week, the Bishop of Durham, the Right Reverend Paul Butler. Paul, it is lovely to have you with us. It's a pleasure to be with you, Tim. It's taken us a while to get this sorted, hasn't it? <laughs> it, it has, but it's it, it'll be, I'm absolutely confident it's going to be well worth the wait. So we're <laughs> going to start off um, with a question we often ask our, our guests, really, which is to tell us just about your faith. How did you come to be a Christian? Uh, so I came to faith uh, as a teenager uh, in the August 1970 um, through the witness of a church youth group and the Christian Union at my school. Uh, I went to Kingston Grammar School in uh, southwest London. Um, and it was that that, that combined combination uh, that drew me to consider the claims of Christ. And I have a very clear conversion experience on, a, on the camp run by the Christian Union that summer and, and a very clear memory of um, actually travelling on the on the coach uh, across Exmoor uh, to going to Linton and Lynmouth and and in my head quietly saying to God I believe uh, you know that I'm rotten through and through um, I need forgiveness I believe that Jesus died for me I believe he's alive if you'll have me take me on no no blinding lights no warming heart um, but uh, six months later, someone said to me, Paul, what's different about you? Mm. And I said, what do you mean what's different about me? And they said, well, you've changed. And I said, what way I've changed? They said, well, you're being kinder and you're not swearing anymore. And, you know, this is a 15-year-old lad, you know. So, uh, so that's where it all began. Uh, and the journey's been uh, wonderful ever since. And um, 
uh, as you know, I'm about to retire uh, as Bishop of Durham. Uh, and the theme that I wanted uh, at my farewell service in the cathedral was the faithfulness of God, because that's, uh, you know, I, I've not always been faithful, but God has never, ever let me down. That's that's wonderful. I think I, I wish we had the time to take uh, the long and winding road from that coach <laughs> trip to to where we are now. But given the time available, we're going to fast yeah. forward and, and and ask you. So you, you are a bishop who serves in the House of Lords. Yes. That that um, that, re- that rare creature, uh, a member of the House of Lords that is not there for life. Um, yes. So tell me how you, as a as a bishop, get to become a member of the House of Lords because not not every bishop does, do they? Uh, no, but the Bishop of Durham is a permanent. There's five members of, of the House of Bishops who are permanent members: the two Archbishops, the Bishop of London, Bishop of Durham, and the Bishop of Winchester. The other twenty-one places are taken um, historically in. Uh, uh, the longer you serve, then you go up the list. Right. Um, with the introduction of women bishops, there was a, yeah. a, a, an alteration to that to make, make sure that women did get in more quickly. But mm. um, but now as Bishop of Durham, I'm there as a kind of permanent member whilst I am the Bishop of Durham. I, so, Tim, I, I, I think the bishops actually offer a model for the House of Lords. You serve for a period of time. Uh, you use your gifts and calling to serve the nation then, and then you step away. And someone else comes in. And so you set out there very, very clearly the one uh, obvious difference between uh, the bishops in the Lords and and the other members of the Lords who are there yeah. either by appointment for life or uh, 92 of them who are there inheriting their titles. Yes. Um, but are there other ways in which the, the the bishops in the Lords differ from the other members of that house? Uh, so we are, we're, we're called the Lord Spiritual. Um, so we have a particular brief, I think, to 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 speak up uh, for the spirituality of the nation, for the morality of the nation. And that doesn't mean other members of the House of Lords don't think spiritually or don't speak. But I, there is a particular onus on us <clears throat> to ask the moral and the ethical and the spiritual questions. Uh, the other thing that other members of the House of Lords say is very distinctive about us is that we're all serving and leading a diocese. So we're in a region, we're in a locality, we're talking to clergy and lay members of churches who are serving their communities day in and day out. So we try to bring that into our debate so that mm. um, we are constantly rooted in our community, a bit, bit like you as MPs yeah. are rooted in your constituency. Um, and other members of the House of Lords don't have that rootedness to their to a local community in the same way that we do and the contacts into the local community that, that we do. So I, want, I was a bit surprised, I have said, when I became Bishop of Durham, by the speed with which local authority leaders approached me and said, please recognise, Bishop Paul, that the North East doesn't have very many members of the House of Lords, and we look mm. to you as the Bishop of Durham to speak up for the North East, to speak for the region. So this is non-church people saying, we recognise you have a voice that, that is important for us and we want you to use it. Mm. Now, there will be people who obviously challenge the, the fact that we have an established church and certainly yeah. we have um, representatives of that church with a, a kind of a permanent place and it's not permanent for individuals, but nevertheless a permanent presence in, yeah. in the Lords. Would you defend that in a debate? I, I would actually, uh, probably even more so. Uh, the, the, there's always a danger, of course, that you, you become... <laughs> sucked into the system yes. and so on um 
I I think there is that because of the history of the Church of England and the, and the connection uh, with the monarchy and with with the nation as a whole. Um, I, that doesn't mean I don't believe there isn't a place for reform. Mm. <laughs> I certainly think there is. I think the House of Lords uh, does need reform. Actually, the House of Lords recognises itself that it needs reform. Um, it should be smaller uh, and. Uh, but I, I think actually having representatives of different walks of life. Um, so one of the things I, I, I wish actually there were representatives of uh, other faiths and other churches uh, appointed be, so that they represented that, that as well. Now, you, you mentioned um, the relationship with the crown. Obviously, on yes. the occasion of the king's coronation, uh, you were alongside him for the duration. Can you tell us uh, a little yes. bit about your role on that day? Uh, so historically, the, the Bishop of Bath and Wales and the Bishop of Durham are what's called the, uh, the Bishop's Assistant to the Sovereign. Um, and basically, the, the simple way of explaining it is it was our job to make sure that the king was in the right place at the right time, knowing what he was doing and making sure it happened correctly. Um, <clears throat> uh, so we were guiding him. We were and, and it, yeah, we were whispering to him, reminding him and, and so forth. Um, huge honour. Um, one that you know, this little boy growing up uh, down in southwest London, North Surrey, um, never thought he would ever be doing. <clears throat> um, but it did mean I spent a lot of time with the king uh, in rehearsals, um, and you inevitably chat about not about all everything and everything, but you do talk about other other things and mm. just what's going on in the rehearsal. Um, uh, and I'm very, I was very impressed with him actually. And that leads me, I guess we are all of us reeling, I certainly am, about yeah. the news of the King's cancer diagnosis. Yeah. Um, and in, in praying for that to be a diagnosis that leads to a you know, swift and full re recovery, yes. obviously he's a, he's a man who, now under treatment, will need to take it easy. What, what I know about him, which is a lot less than, than you, you've been in much closer quarters more often than, than I have, he's, he's a man who's worked his socks off from... Uh, from from youth, uh, pretty much. It, it, is he a, is he a man who will be able to take it easy? Do you think? Uh, he's incredibly hardworking. I mean, that, that that's has been as you say, has been true all his life. Um, and he has entered into being the king with a clear determination to continue to work hard. Um, the theme for him of serving the nation and serving the people is really really strong, and that he serves under God. Um, one of the things that struck me actually in preparing for the coronation was was him saying, uh, "There's a there's a degree to which he said I I don't think I'm really king until I have made my vows before God and before the nation mm. and that I've been anointed because I can't do this task without God's help." That's what he said to us. Mm. <clears throat> so he will find it difficult, I think, to slow down. Um, but uh, he is surrounded by plenty of advisors, of course. Mm. And um, not least Queen Camilla and um, the Prince of Wales. So I'm sure they will be saying, you know, um, and it'll be one of those times where they will have to say to him, what is it only you can do? Mm. And what is it that the nation that you want to serve needs you to still do? Mm. And that will be the red boxes, the conversations with the prime minister and, mm. and so on. So I, he will he will understand absolutely that he must give priority to what that which needs priority. Um, what he'll miss is being out and about meeting people. Um, yeah. uh, but clearly, 
uh, Queen Camilla and the Prince of Wales, no doubt Duke of Edinburgh and others will pick some of that up. Um, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if he's very clear with them that they are to give very thorough reports back of <laughs> who, who they've seen and how it went. A mucky business with Tim Farron. We're joined by the Bishop of Durham, the Reverend, Right Reverend Paul Butler. Um, well, when you're when you're in the in the Lord's chamber, um, yeah. do you ever get the chance to speak about the gospel? Um, yeah, in little ways, um, we try to uh, yeah quote the quote scriptures, um, tell story, use stories from the gospels. Um, uh, one of the constant themes, I think, is we constantly try to remind uh, folk in the Lords that. Um, uh, all human beings are made in the image of God and loved by God. The people for whom Jesus died. That that uh, that is probably a, if you did an analysis of my speeches, that's probably the theme that regularly comes in. Um, you know, you and I have done lots and lots of work on refugees, for example. Mm. And one of the, one of the things constantly is saying, each and every asylum seeker is a human being made in the image of God, loved by God, for whom Jesus died, and that therefore needs to be treated with. The, the, the full dignity uh, that they deserve. Uh, so, yes, there's that. Um, there are opportunities outside the chamber, mm. yeah, one-to-one. -one. You have mm. conversations with people, yeah. You talk about our work together in on refugee issues. So you and I have both uh, been principals on what's called the RAMP project, yeah. Refugee Asylum Migration uh, partner, Partnership. Um, give us a quick idea about what RAMP is and what it does. Uh, so the, the great thing behind RAMP was cross-party, looking to say, uh, are there areas uh, of commonality where we can agree together to work across party and across uh, both houses uh, to seek to improve um, the migration system of this country? And I say migration deliberately because there's immigration as well as immigration, mm -hmm. and it's not just about refugees and asylum seekers. It is about immigration policy as a whole. Um, although inevitably there's been quite a focus on refugees and asylum seekers. Um, it's been a real privilege, Tim, to work with, with you and others. And of course, it's grown. There were four of us originally, and now there's more principals and the principals. Are, I think you're now, you are the only original principal I'm, left. I'm the old git, yes. But we're incredibly well served by by a team. And each of, as each yeah. of us has a researcher. And one of the things I've loved about it is the way that those researchers have always also worked as a team yes. and they share intelligence, they share ideas and yes. so on. And, that, and, and that, an example where we, you know, we, we all, we've actually all agreed that right to work is something to work on. We then yeah. had to do some compromises with each other about timing and so on. Yeah. But actually we have campaigned together on why asylum seekers having the right to work after a period of time makes sense uh economically socially uh, and so on yes and it, as you indicate it's a cross-party uh organization and and uh, we've got i think i'm right saying we've got three conservative mps and a member yeah. of the conservative member of the house of lords with us as well so yes the idea that it's just a bunch of whining liberals uh, <laughs> it's very untrue <laughs> as we draw our time together to a, a close sadly you, you are um in a few weeks time going to cease to be the Bishop of Durham and yes. seeks to be a member of the Lords. So as you as you reflect on your time in the Lords, what would you say the best thing about the Lords is as an institution? And, and then maybe what's the worst? Uh, so it is an extraordinarily uh, gifted place. I mean, the, the Lords is full of people with 
masses of life experience and uh, and deep deep knowledge and um that's one of the things that that the that i think a second chamber needs mm. and must never lose um and that that and the the honor and the privilege of um working with people that some some of that you know because they, they've been in politics for a long time but doctors nurses uh, business people uh or skill artists all sorts it's just an amazing eclectic mix and that that's one of the and they bring all that wisdom in the service of the nation that's that's the great thing i think um how does it is um i my fear is that, that this is that, that this is probably true for the commons as well um that we can become an uh, an internal echo chamber mm. and i think politics as a whole can become an internal echo chamber uh, i did an interview this morning uh earlier this morning just for local radio talking about the king and so on and one of the things of course the presenter said to me was of course that all feels a long way away london feels a very long way away and um it uh, doesn't feel like they know what we're like here in the north you'll have it in the same the same mm. with your constituency mm. Um, and sometimes I fear that the Lords uh, can fall foul of mm. losing sight of uh, what life is like for ordinary people. We go back to the poverty, go back to the mm. asylum seekers mm. um, and so on. And they, and they forget what it's really like to live on an estate mm. in Birmingham or in Sunderland, what yeah. it's like to be growing up in uh, a, a rural village at the top of um, yeah, at the top of your area, at the top of Weardale or Teesdale. Mm. Well, finally, finally, Paul, um, what's next for you after you step down? And how so we're, um, uh, Rosemary and I are moving to Newark on Trent. Uh, that's going to be our home. Um, six months complete break. Um, and genuinely waiting on God to see what the next call on our life is. We have a deep sense that... Um, we were called to be to be here. I was called to serve as Bishop of Durham. I'm now called to a new phase of life. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I do know that God hasn't finished with me yet. And I do know that whilst I have breath, that my calling is to serve him and to make Jesus known. Well, Paul, we'll be playing for, for you and, and your wife. Thank you. That that will become clear to you and God will continue to use you. Paul, it's been a great pleasure. Um, Thank you, Tim. With you today and to work with you over the last few years. And uh, I really, really hope we'll stay in touch. I hope so too. Each week, we give you the opportunity for you to ask any question you'd like about this mucky business of politics. Now, it might be how an aspect of this world impacts us Christians who work within it. Or maybe there's a particular issue that you're struggling to make sense of. Well, I'd love to hear from you and attempt an answer. So please drop me an email to farron at premier.org.uk. Now, this week, Miranda has been in touch and she says the following. I do not like Donald Trump and would not vote for him. But as a British citizen, I have no say in the matter. So I'm trying not to worry about it too much. What is worrying me is I am noticing conversations cropping up here in the UK about it that remind me of all the Brexit arguments of 2016 to 20. What is the best way for us all to remain reasonably calm and polite and maintain friendships in what promises to be a tumultuous year? Miranda, it's a great question, possibly one of the most important ones we can think of and consider as, as Christians. I think the first thing to say is that having strong opinions isn't a bad thing. 
Um, and one thing that I've often said is that I don't think Christians are called to be soppily neutral just so that we don't offend anybody. So I, I take a very strong personal view. My concern is that whilst the Americans have every right to elect who they like, I do worry very much and pray about um, the potential impact on the Western world and upon the Western alliance and therefore peace and liberty and security uh, of a second Donald Trump presidency and what that might do to the balance of the world order. I think there's a, a lot for us to be concerned about. Um, but the first thing I'd say about how we respond to that is to remember that God is ultimately sovereign and Donald Trump, Vladimir Putin and all the rest of them, frightening and powerful people they may have been, they may be, and they may be in the future. Nevertheless, their time in any kind of uh, power is temporary and God is uh, sovereign and eternally so. So we can, we've got permission to not panic. But how do we then deal with one another if other people take wildly differing views for, to us on things like the potential return of uh, Donald Trump? And I think one thing I would say is to echo the words of Elizabeth Oldfield, who um, uh, said this. She said, I think that the antidote to the culture war is curiosity. So rather than being hostile or deeply offended by that thing that somebody says um, that challenges the very core of what we believe, let's instead be curious. Remember, that person is made in the image of God, um, is utterly valued. Yes, utterly flawed and sinful, just like we are, but a person bearing ultimate dignity. And we want to be curious about why it is they think what they think. So let's be curious, genuinely so, uh, loving the person, even if we seriously dislike the thing that they believe and say. And maybe, just maybe, by demonstrating that kind of winsome, gracious curiosity towards them, we instead return with a curiosity aimed at us, which will allow us to set out what we think, hopefully seasoned with grace. If you have a question for Tim, email farron at premier.org.uk. Well, let's draw together uh, at the end of our time this week with prayer. Uh, Loving Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for the Reverend Paul Butler, who has served as Bishop of Durham these last many years and in the House of Lords. We thank you that at the end of this month, he will uh, retire both uh, as the Bishop of Durham, but also as one of the Lord's spiritual. We pray for him, his wife Rosemary, as they move to Newark, and that you just give them real clarity as to what to do next. Keep Paul and Rosemary faithful to you. Um, uh, change and rebuke them, mould them, guide them, lead them, support them uh, in every way as they begin their new life and uh, show them the way um, they need to go and make great use of them, we pray, Lord. Uh, we pray also um, for the King, for His Majesty King Charles III, uh, as we now realise he is living with cancer. And we pray for that treatment. We pray that it would be uh, successful, uh, that he would make a full and speedy recovery. Uh, we pray for his family and pray for him. We pray that he would uh, put his trust solely in you, Lord Jesus, um, that this would be a time that would draw him ever closer to you uh, and to a full acceptance of the truth and that you would draw his family in the same direction. Uh, may this be a, uh, whilst a really sad and troubling time for the country, we pray it be a unifying time as well. And we lift all of these things up to you uh, and uh, seek uh, your favour in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, thanks so much for joining us for this week's show. Don't forget, you can catch up on past episodes which feature interviews with party leaders, 
former government ministers and MPs from all the major parties. Just search for A Mucky Business on your chosen podcast provider or head to premier.plus forward slash A Mucky Business.